Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shereko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shereko. On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain uh, (laughs) Power Calls, welcome. Today, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Andrew Bode. Unless you lived in Australia over the past 50 plus years, you might not have any opportunity to become aware of Andrew. Yet his book, Against All Odds, may be very inspirational to you. Andrew was born in 1945 in Australia at the end of World War II, when armies who were fighting the war descended in the country to help save it from the Japanese war machine. There were unintentional consequences to this, namely the birth of children to soldiers who had long since died or returned to their home nations. Andrew was one of those children. His story is a powerful inspiration to those who seek to succeed against all odds. I'm inspired to have Andrew join us today. So please wave your hands to welcome Andrew Bird. Hello, Andrew, thank you for joining me. Thank you very much, Susan. That's a lovely welcome. Thank you. You're more than welcome. Andrew, looking back on your life, there is a a magical connect the dots feeling about it. Uh, We can't see the dots until we gain the perspective to look back on it. But when we do, we start to see them lining up. Let's start with the first dot. What were the circumstances of your birth and in what world were you placed? Well, Susan, the uh, circumstances of my birth were, as you said at the introduction, were uh, immediately after World War II. And I found myself uh, in an orphanage. I was uh, two and a half years old, going on three. And I had no idea why I was there or why I was there with other children of the same ilk. So for me, it was a a pretty traumatic start. But I certainly wasn't going to let that uh, define who I was. No, no, no. But you were able to move through that institution to another, through various grades. You were able to finally get accepted into high school, which was some no small feat and even on into college. What, what was that? Why was that possible? How was it possible? Well, it was made possible, first of all, uh, genetically. I looked at, it turned out that I had uh, a very good gene pool. My mother I was, was a school teacher. And as I found out later, my father was a military intelligence officer. Now, I, I had no idea, of course, at that time, but, but I knew that I was able to uh, do well at school. And the matron of the orphanage recognized this. And uh, she, she said, well, look, uh, you know, we're not going to allow you just to become a farm laborer. You have uh, a gift and a gift from God and uh, you should use it to the best of your ability. And that's what I tried to do. And uh, so I was very fortunate in that I had the matron of the orphanage who recognized uh, my innate ability and uh, the church, which is the 
was the Church of England or in America, it would be called the <coughs> Episcopalian Church. They recognized that and they allowed me to uh, obtain a scholarship to one of their prestigious boarding schools. And so open sesame for me from that point. It was, absolutely. I think you mentioned the matron and one of the things that the stories you tell is how when you were, were you had an answer for that, which really stuck with you through your whole life. I, I missed that last part, uh, Susan, it uh, broke up. Uh, I say your, the, the message the matron gave you uh, when you didn't have a father, what did she say oh, to you? That was a, that was a, a wonderful message. And uh, I said, well, look, uh, these other children, some of them have fathers, some don't. I, I don't have a father. And the matron shook her head and she said, no, that's not true. You have a heavenly father and uh, your heavenly father watches over you at all times. I took that upon myself and I used that as uh, my mantra for self-belief, which I use to this day. So it was uh, very wise words and they were very inspirational for me. And uh, that has been my uh, mm -hmm. raison d'etre ever since uh, I heard it as a, uh, I think I was about ever six since. or seven, yeah. Now you went on, you went through university and you became a teacher. How long did. did you teach? Well, I taught for about uh, 30 years and then uh, the uh, people who examined uh, my teaching said, uh, well, look, uh, I believe you uh, are more uh, suited to becoming a uh, principal because you can influence so many more. And so I became a uh, high school principal and uh, I just thoroughly enjoyed that role. And I went out and uh, into a provincial area and uh, just loved uh, teaching as it turned out. And uh, so I became a high school principal for about 10 years. And then um, basically uh, to come back to the city I came back and I became a primary school principal for about six years or maybe seven years. And then I uh, got a little bored with that and I retired from that. And sadly, my wife uh, became ill. And so I needed the time off to uh, spend time with her. And from that, I then went on to uh, back to the university to do a, a PhD at the age of 63. more power to you my goodness now people you mentioned in the book that people ask you how you were able to achieve so much in life given the difficult start that you you had and i think you sum it up best in the last chapter in the book on motivation can you explain it for us Yes, I, uh, motivation comes from, uh, well, I align it with inspiration. In order to be motivated, you've got to be inspired. And I was inspired by a lot of people around me. I was in a good team at the university. And uh, so I thought, well, this is just wonderful. And so I uh, uh, retired as a uh, high school principal and uh, did my PhD and was attached to Griffith University in uh, on the Gold Coast in Australia and in Queensland, Australia. And 
I used as my motivation was uh, the self-belief that I obtained very early. My belief in God and my heavenly father and my belief in myself. And that was the inspiration and that was the motivation. I looked around and I said, yes, I can do that. But one of the things, Susan, throughout the book was uh, my, through my journey was to try to determine who exactly I was, because I would have uh, many people at, uh, you know, friends and family saying, well, you know, it's, it's wonderful. And then, by the way, you know, uh, where were you born? And I said, well, I was born in Brisbane, Australia. And uh, oh, well, I mean, who were your parents? And mm -hmm. I said, well, I met my mother as a school teacher, but I haven't met my father. And one of the things that I am determined to do in this life is to meet my father and if not meet him to find out basically his genetic pool so that I could pass on to my four sons. I've been blessed with four sons, pass on to them the knowledge of uh, their grandfather. And I was able to do that. And so that was a, a, a motivating factor going through my mind, through my career and through my development uh, through adolescence. And uh, having had that and having met my mother and having been given an opportunity to uh, contact my father, that was the motivating factor. And once I met my father and knew that he was a, a man of intellect and inspiration, that became for me another mantra. And I met him and I, I thought, yes, uh, I've got very good genes and I'm blessed to have those. So I'm going to make the most of those. And having done that, I set myself uh, three things. I said, well, first of all, what, where am I now? Where do I want to go? And thirdly, how am I going to get there? And to answer those one by one, I said, well, I am, uh, I'm a high school principal in the, in the country and I, I'm just absolutely loving it and loving my students. But where do I need to go? I need to go to America to meet my father and uh, determine my gene pool. And thirdly, I'm going to, how am I going to get there? I didn't have the money, so I applied for a military scholarship and uh, from the Australian War Memorial. I got that scholarship, went to America, met my father, and uh, he, of course, he uh, was so pleased to meet me. And, uh, and end of story. So motivation is if you are organised, you then become inspired and inspiration leads is uh, concomitant with motivation. Do you find, I mean, you make, you write a lot about the questions and how important they were uh, in, in terms of your maintaining not only the motivation, but the forward movement. Um, do you, do you, is there something special about questioning that makes such a difference? Well, for me, questioning has always been important. And uh, as, a, as a teacher and as a pedagogue, that was one of the, the ways in which I really enabled uh, students to give of their best. You know, I'd say, well, you consider that. Don't just accept the, the evidence I put in front of you. How do you analyze that? What do you think about it? And for me, that became a natural thing. So I, if I was going to find my father, I was going to go through and, uh, 
you know, try to uh, determine things by asking questions. And one of the first things that I say at the beginning of my book was, hey, I, I have an opportunity here because what used to happen, we would have a dinner party and uh, at the high school and in a local country town, uh, the high school principal usually mixed with the doctor and the dentist and, uh, you know, other educated people. And we, we would have our dinner parties and then come uh, times when people would start talking about their families. I, I said to my wife, well, you know, time for me to make the coffee. Who wants coffee? Who wants tea? And so I'd go and do that. And I was avoiding the question. And so I said to my wife, as I, you know, sort of said goodbye to my friends, I said, I can't avoid it any longer. And as it would happen, the following morning, I got our paper, our local paper, the, the Australian paper, and here on the front page was a picture of uh, beautiful uh, girls going to uh, Manila. And it was an article written by an American retired major who had married an Australian. And I thought, open sesame. So I immediately got in touch with the major and spoke to him and said, look, I'm on a quest to find my, uh, find my father against all, my, against all the odds because uh, before my mother died, bless her soul, she told me my father was an American uh, intelligence officer. With that, he immediately wrote back and he said, you are very lucky because what I kept was, I kept two uh, military uh, phone books or pages from a military phone book where I worked. He said, I was uh, stationed with Douglas MacArthur in Brisbane and uh, I was a major and I, uh, I broke the rules and kept those uh, particular things. And he asked me, what was your father's name? Well, I said, I'm not sure, but my mother said it was either Tanagai or Kanagai. And he wrote back and he says, you're in luck because there it is. And so I looked at those and looked at those secret, if you like, secret papers, you know, uh, a good 60 uh, years after the event. And I saw there was a internal phone number with three people. So I got those and got the uh, telephone book in those days. And I rang up, rang the first and I missed him. Then I got a, a fellow called Gary Kadani, who was in the same thing, same organization. So I rang Gary, he was in San Francisco. And I said, oh, uh, did you, is uh, Captain Enstead alive? He said, no, sadly he's passed on. What about Captain O'Bannon? No, sadly he's passed on. And I said, what about a fellow called George Canagai? He said, George? He says, I was in Las Vegas with George last week and uh, we had our reunion. He's a great guy. And so what I immediately did, I didn't let my guard down. I said, well, that's interesting, Gary. Could you tell uh, George that there's an Australian researcher, which is true, that's me, military researcher by the name of Andrew Bode. Would you uh, ask him to give me a call? And here's my phone number at the local high school. Nothing happened for a, about a month, Susan. And then suddenly one Sunday afternoon, the phone rang and at the other end was a deep sonorous American voice and saying, oh, hi, I'm uh, George, uh, you know, da, da, da. And I said, well, George, I'll come to the point. I'm an Australian and I'm a high school principal and I'm uh, pretty factual. Before my mother died, she informed me that you were my father. At the other end of the phone, you could feel the atmosphere was quite palpable because 
you know, he uh, said, I didn't realize that I'd left you behind. I didn't realize. And I said, that doesn't matter. I said, I'm here now. Let's meet, sign my birth certificate and I can start again. So the answer was there on that afternoon. And I, I followed oh, that. Through. That's uh, so wonderful. That's so wonderful. I could, I, you know, I, when I, you, you mentioned a couple of, that's such a great story. I mean, I, I'm a genealogist. And so for me, the joy of finding someone that you've been searching for for a long time is, is important to the work. You, you are not a genealogist that I know of, but that's the kind of work you were doing to try to track him down. In this day and age, when you have ancestry DNA, you know, results you can get, and you can, um, you know, those two things coupled together can help you find people more easily. If, if you had access to that, do you think you would have used it? I would have possibly used it as a last resort if there was a case of denial. But no, my father being the man that he was, uh, being very much a man and a very uh, straightforward man, he uh, admittedly ad ad mentioned my mother and said what a lovely uh, person she was and how sad he was that I'd been you know, placed in an orphanage. And he said he wouldn't have done that. But he admitted uh, you know, paternity straight away. And we had a bond and he signed my birth certificate and I was fine. And from that moment on, I said, now I know. I've answered those questions against the odds. I'm able to achieve what I want yep. to achieve. And I said, I'm going to stop. I'm going to go back to the university, get a PhD because I know I'll be able to do that with my eyes closed. I did that. And then I've had a wonderful uh, later career as a uh, university lecturer for the last 18 years. And uh, I've been able to uh, enjoy you know, life, I guess, to a degree, because those answers are, are there, they were provided for me, and I've been able to pass that on to my children. And so it's been a, an interesting journey. Yes, but what a legacy. Now, you, you also, I mean, part of this, your mental ability to do this, not just motivation, but also you, you are a student of the mind. You are a student of psychology. Uh, you had, you wrote about the affirmations, the, the affirmations that you used, like the word, I can, That's I right. can do it. I can be whoever I want to be. Exactly. And that, that's very powerful. And, and I noted, I noted also that you studied positive psychology, which I've studied myself. So I'm just thrilled to see that you do that. How did you get, how, how has that impacted your work? Well, that goes back to the matron uh, of the orphanage. When I was a, a teenager, really struggling, in those days, there was a, a positive psychologist, even though he was a minister by the name of uh, Norman Vincent Peale, and he was an American. And he, you know, used as the basis of a platform of his, of his uh, psychology, the positive psychology of, uh, you know, I can. You know, he, Norman Vincent Peale, uh, tied that in with uh, a belief in God, which I have, and he basically got people to believe not only in God, but in themselves and to use positive psychology from the point of view of 
uh, you know, wanting to be able, seeing a goal, wanting to be able to achieve that goal. And so from that, then later in uh, university, at uh, university, I went on to uh, study more psychology. And in particular, uh, as a lecturer, I was talking about um, uh, Salomon, uh, Martin Salomon, and, you know, he's positive psychology. And I, I said to my students, if you're going to become teachers, mm -hmm. I, so I was mm -hmm. lecturing high school uh, Student, uh, students and to become high school teachers, I said, it's important that you as a teacher give a lead of positiveness rather than negative negativity because you need to inspire and motivate students. How can you do that unless you within your own persona are positive and uh, have that uh, basic uh, you know, you know, thing? And so, and then uh, further to that, I just kept reading about uh, Salomon and, and then, of course, of late uh, uh, Dyer, you know, his uh, psychology and positive psychology. Mm -hmm. And uh, last but not least, fairly recently, and I've been in touch uh, by LinkedIn with a uh, positive psychologist by the name of uh, Mark, uh, what's his last name? Mark Devine, Mark Devine. So all those positive aspects, mm -hmm. uh, Susan, reaffirmed my early self-belief that I obtained from Norman Vincent Peale. So uh, yeah, that's, that's the, how I did it. Self-affirmation through positive belief, positive belief in uh, the cosmos, in myself, and certainly in um, my divine leader. So that's it. Your divine leader being your that's it. And it's a, oh, no, it's a, oh, no, it's a wonderful story leader. of accomplishing the most important thing. Uh, my divine leader might be my heavenly father. Yes, yes. I thought that was who you meant. Yeah, <laughs> no, not, not, so not Mark. There... <laughs> <laughs> right. What, out of all of this story, and I have to say, you have such a memory for detail. It was yes, phenomenal to hear all this or read all the stories of the children that you were in the orphanage with and you knew their names and you hadn't forgotten any of the trouble you'd gotten into. And you, it was, <laughs> there was so much rich detail about that, um, that it's, it's fascinating because it's, a, it's been a few years since those things happened. So I'm impressed by your memory. So can, can I um, tell you the way what, I did it? Oh, what is why did you do it? No, why did you do it? How did I do it? More than why. Uh, well, the why was to answer the question. How, being a, a teacher in uh, you know secondary school, I uh, always said to my students, research and data is most important. So to obtain the data, I had to obtain my file from the state government. Right, the uh, the I was a, a child in an orphanage that was run by the church, subsidised by the state, you know, of Queensland. So therefore, they had me on their file. So I went to the state government and said, I would like my file, please, uh, because I'm a, a man now and uh, my questions uh, are being answered and I need to do that. I'm sorry, sir, we can't uh, give you that. Well, let me tell you, I believe that you can and I want to speak to the minister in charge. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, uh, I was given total access to my file. So I was able to go through my file from the state government and authenticate some of the beliefs that I had. Secondly, 
What also happened, there was another document which more or less co, well, there's a sort of um, codependent uh, documentation, almost a, a subtle collaboration of two documents, if you will. The state government on the one hand, and on the other hand, the church, the Episcopalian or the Church of England, as it was known, or now known as the Anglican Church of Australia, of which I'm still a member. Basically, that church and the matron was very astute. She, there was a, a, a pamphlet that was put out on a monthly basis called Home Missions. And that Home Mission pamphlet went to each of the particular parishes. And so with that, with that uh, you know, uh, pamphlet, there would be requests for you know, uh, money to support the orphanage, uh, money to buy clothes for the orphanage. And one of the first things I noticed when I was going through, I had total access to, that, access to those files. When I went through, I read about a, a baby Andy. And it says, uh, we now have a baby Andy. And Andy is always asking why. You talk about the questions. As a uh, little baby, he was saying, why is it that, and why and how does that, that a cow can turn my, my uh, you know, milk, provide milk, turn grass into milk. How does that occur? And then in that same document, uh, the matron put, Andy has just discovered his uh, middle finger is taller and bigger than the others. And so he told me that must be an older finger, you know, for it to be like that. So those are the things I was able to see. And then Later, as I went away for a holiday trip with a family, one of the little boys, one of their uh, babies, uh, was swimming in the river and he uh, started to drown. And I ran down and I swam across and saved his life. And, and with that, the following, following month in the home missions, they said, our baby Andy is no longer baby, but he's in the local paper. There's a write-up of him saving uh, my son, you know, and uh, all that was documented. So okay. certain it was a matter of picking those documents up and uh, translating and uh, coordinating the documents into a story. So again, I was blessed to find factual material to back up uh, my uh, memory. So that's how I was able to do it, and my attention to to that's, detail. So that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. Is there any one overriding theme that you're trying to get across to your readers? To my readers? I guess, Susan, the <laughs> most overriding aspect that I'm getting across to my readers and also to my listeners out there in America is the wonderful belief that you can have. A belief in yourself a belief in your divine power, no matter what that may be. And a way forward is to consider those beliefs, adopt a positive attitude, adopt positive psychology, if you will, and go for it and not sit back and wait for it to happen. If you like, uh, one of my great inspirers is, was a, a fellow called um, Roosevelt. And uh, his, his name was uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And basically, he wrote a, uh, a game of speech at the Sorbonne in uh, 1910. And basically, the Sorbonne speech was called uh, Democracy in a Republic. And the speech that I have hanging on my wall 
and I inspired my students with that very thing in the end. And it's called the man in the arena. And I can cite, cite it if I have, do I have time to cite it? Mention it? Oh, please. Yes, go right ahead. So basically, <laughs> without looking at it, it uh, it's what I finished my lectures with uh, when I would have a cohort that were going through my hands and going out to uh, teach in high school. And I would say to this, put your pens down, close your laptops, open your ears and listen and open your hearts and your minds. And I said this, it's called The Man in the Arena by an American uh, president called the 26th president of the United States called, uh, to your little original, it's called The Man in the Arena. And it goes like this, it is not the critic that counts, not the man who points to the strong man who stumbles or the doer of deeds who could have done them better. But what really is important is the man who is in the arena, whose face is marred with blood and sweat and dust, but strives to achieve. Yes, he errs and falls short again and again, for there is no uh, growth forward without error or shortcoming. He knew the great enthusiasms, the great dedications. And in the end, he uh, had a great belief that basically if things were going to go positively, he had the belief that you are able to do so knowing full well the triumph of high achievement or in the end, at worst, if he should fail, he would fail while daring greatly so that he knew he would never ever be among those cold and timid souls who neither knew victory nor defeat. End of speech. Yes. Powerful, powerful words. It's wonderful. My students, Where do people uh, around the world find your book? How? Uh, Amazon. What do your students do? Uh, Amazon.com and uh, there's an e-book. There's an e-book, but Amazon.com would get there. And uh, if I can mention the publisher, the publisher is uh, Paige Turner. And uh, so through Amazon.com or Paige Turner, uh, you'd be able to get the book. But uh, Susan, my belief is it does not matter if I only sell one book, but if that one book I sell helps another person who may be full of self-doubt as an adolescent or as a child or as a, a uh, young person growing up, and that leads that person to a positive you know, uh, life and inspiration, then for me, mm -hmm. that is... Uh, one of the wonderful ways that I could have finished up a writing a book such as this. That's it. That's it. It's wonderful. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming and sharing your, you know, your very personal life story. I love your description of life in the orphanages, the unfolding path toward reaching all your goals. And as and especially I enjoyed the chapter on motivation, which provides actual directions to the ways that we can pursue them. Um, we all have the power to do what you have done. We just don't know it. So thank you also to our listeners who joined us today. We've been, we've been talking with Andrew Bode about his book, Against All Odds, where he shares his experiences that led to his ability to achieve his goal against all the odds. If your heart calls to you to think about his experience, please check out his book, Against All Odds. And if you've taken away a nugget that touches your heart,
please support the work of this program by subscribing and recommending it to others. We thank you for letting us give authors a voice. And well, thanks again for being with us, Andrew. Well, thank you very much, Susan, for giving me the opportunity because, uh, you know, I, it was something that I discussed with my sons and I thought, well, you know, I could keep it uh, very private, but they said, dad, you've got a gift, share it. So that's been my uh, philosophy in life. And, uh, you know, I, again, thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, come on your show. Thank you. I'm very pleased. I'm very pleased you did. So once again, it's time to go everyone. Bye for now and have a great day. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shireko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, sharing the journeys of those affected by sudden and great loss and what they did to heal, rebuild, and where they are now.